Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more. Take it away, fellas. Hello again. Good to have your company for episode 43 of Shim Spider and so much more, a week in which Melbourne City moved very close to selling the premiership. A-League clubs announced the building of new training facilities. Sam Kerr became the first Australian female to take to the field in the UEFA Wounds Champions League final and Leicester City won the FA Cup. We'll discuss it all and then welcome our special guest, better late than never, Callum Elder, a little bit later on in the show. Before all that, let's say hello to my two co-hosts, Zelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. Maury, we start with you, an unbeaten season for your boys. Rangers confirmed at the weekend, quite the achievement. It's a massive achievement, really. You look at undefeated, um, 24 clean sheets, uh, 102 points, uh, and, and to be able to wrestle the, the, the title and the domination that, that Celtic have had over the last nine seasons. So, no, a really massive season for Rangers and absolutely delighted for all that were involved. Uh, no more big nights out with Charlie Miller and various other ex-Rangers players. That, you're still in lockdown, aren't you, until today, actually? Yeah, still. still. So, no, nah, look, it was pretty pretty subdued. I actually had my vaccination, uh, first vaccination yesterday. Cool. So, How are you going? Yeah. So, mate, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, so, just taking it easy. But, yeah, no, like this is a fantastic achievement for, for what Stephen Gerrard and the, and the team have done for, for the whole mm. season. Yeah, really, really incredible season. Spider, have you, had, have you had the jab yet? Have they got a needle big enough for your arms? Mate, no jab for the spider, man. Uh, not, not yet. Until I get told I've got to have it, then I'll, then I'll have it. At the moment, mate, I'm happy to go without. Okay. Now, on a serious note... Uh, we have seen the international retirement, quite surprisingly, of Mitch Langerak this week. What do you make of that, Spider? Very surprising. Uh, look, the, the only thing I, I... I don't know anything, so I haven't had any inside scoops. Uh, the only thing I can make from it is that 
We know how hard everything's been with COVID. We know Mitch has established himself now in Japan. We know he's got a young family. Um, and he probably just feels, I'll concentrate on playing in, in J- Japan and not travel around the world and not have these kind of problems in this kind of time and age with COVID. That, that's all I can put it down to. I think it's a shame because I've always rated him. I think he's a fantastic keeper. And you know what? It would have been a good little fight now between him and Matty Ryan. Yeah, and career best form as well, but uh, understand and respect his decision. Uh, as for me, I've had a busy weekend. I actually called the MPL Queensland game between the Lions and their Peninsula Power on Sunday. Uh, and on Saturday, I was down in Melbourne, Avondale FC, for the game against uh, South Melbourne, raising funds uh, for the Breast Cancer Network of Australia. And uh, big kudos to the club. They handed over a cheque for 35 thousand dollars to that particular charity which for an MPL club I think is pretty special so when well done to everybody down there and thanks for making me feel uh, so welcome all right let's uh, get on to the other big conversation points in hard talk hard talk Hard Talk is brought to you by Stringgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business-level webcasts, then please go to streamgates.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Um, Spider, let's start with you. Uh, Sam Kerr in the UEFA Women's Champions League final didn't really go according to plan. Chelsea nil, Barcelona four. So you remain one of only four Australians to have one of those coveted medals in your trophy cabinet. Yeah, but it's a pity for Sam. They've just outplayed. They come up against a very, very good Barcelona team. Uh, great achievement to get there. And as we spoke about last week, great achievement uh, by Sam all year round. Yeah, She's had a terrific and, year. Go on, Maury. Unbelievable. Barcelona, I guess, look, in, in the English media, obviously everyone was hyping up Chelsea. Domestically, Barcelona played 26 games, won 26 games, scored 128 goals, only conceded five. So there's a little bit of a back background of, of Barcelona who dominated Chelsea tonight. Is the Women's Super League becoming a little bit overhyped? Um, I mean, we're still seeing in the Women's Champions League, uh, Leon in particular, Wolfsburg have reached the final on quite a few occasions, now Barcelona and, you know, not just beating Chelsea today, who were worthy Women's Super League champions, but beating them by quite some margin. Yeah, but it's, you know, I think with, with the women's game, uh, Simon, what you you will see uh, over the next two to five years is you'll you'll see some other clubs that will really uh, up the up the ante uh, and put themselves in a position where they can compete. I mean, Barcelona, I think they they made the final in 2019, uh, were beaten by by Leon, Chelsea's first um, opportunity at a Champions League final. But I think you'll see some other clubs come out of the woodwork in the future. Uh, one of which, Spider, might be Juventus. Um, Joe Montemuro is heavily rumoured to be their next women's coach. Of course, he's led Arsenal for the last few years, done very well with them. Um, That's an interesting move for Joe, if it's confirmed. He'd love that. Uh, that, uh, And that'd be massive because they they spend big on the women's football. And, you know, all these big clubs, Maury, now, they're actually investing heavily. 
Because the Champions League, it's a massive trophy and these girls are getting the opportunity to play some real serious matches. So they've got to go out and get the best players. They've got to, uh, they've got to scout the players. They've got to get the players to sign decent contracts to get them there. Joe would be a great, great coach at Juventus and I'm sure he would love that opportunity. We'll see if that comes off. Uh, let's move closer to home. Uh, A-League clubs, as we mentioned in the intro, starting to build facilities. Uh, Sydney FC unveiling Sky Park, which is going to be based at Macquarie University, their current training ground. Uh, and MacArthur FC are going to build one near, near Camden as well, Maury. This is great to see and, and long overdue for uh, quite a few of our A-League clubs actually putting bricks and mortar down, proper infrastructure. Yeah, look, it's, it's very important. I mean, if we want to talk about Australia as being a, a professional environment and, and country in terms of football, then you, you need to have that training facility. You need to have that home. Uh, it's, it's what, you know, people have all over the world. So, you know, really pleasing. I mean, Sydney, Spider, you would have been based out of Macquarie in your time out there. So it's good that they're developing that. Uh, and a great opportunity for MacArthur um, to build something out near Camden. Uh, that investment is very, very important. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's quite positive in terms of moving forward uh, for our game. Uh, the Victorian government also confirming their investment for a home of the Matildas Spider at uh, La Trobe University in Bundura. That's in Melbourne, of course. Um, the FIFA Women's World Cup may be acting as a little bit of a catalyst for unlocking some of this government money, which, of course, we, we've long complained that perhaps we as a sport don't get enough of. Yeah, and which we've long uh, spoke about on this show as well, about uh, lobbying to get these investments for our game for the future. Uh, I think Ange Postecoglou spoke about it ages ago, and now we have this opportunity with the Women's World Cup. We're lobbying, and they're starting to support, which is fantastic. A home for football for the Matildas. Brilliant. All right, let's uh, move on to the A-League and we'll start uh, with the game between MacArthur and Melbourne Victory. A 3-1 win for Anto Milicic's side. Spider will stick with you. Uh, Matt Derbyshire again scoring twice. Proof, I guess, that having a regular goal scorer can really put you in contention in this, in this competition. They've only scored 29 goals this season, MacArthur. Not exactly prolific. And he's got 13 of them. Yeah, important, important player for, for MacArthur. And you know what? They're doing well. First year, guys, they're, they're doing well. Uh, no one's talking about them too much. Now, I think I might have tipped them to finish in the top four first year. And I'm actually surprised that they're going this well. But you know what? They've got a goal scorer up top and they've got a keeper. Seriously, Federici, he makes some big saves. Big saves. Oh, uh, good coach. What's that, buds? He made a massive save in this match. Uh, guest had uh, a, a snapshot. Yeah. And Federici, the, the save that he makes um, is incredible. It really is. Yeah, and Ante Milic is just keeping them under the out of the limelight. They're ticking away nicely. They've got people at the club that have been around in football for a long time and they're having a very good year. Uh, victory, of course, by contrast, having a horrible season. Maury, where are they at? I mean, you look at the other two teams in Victoria. City, top of the league. They're about to go to Dandenong. They're probably going to build a new training facility in that part of the city, maybe even a new stadium long-term. If the new stadium comes off at Tarnit, and I know there's a big question mark against that for Western United, but assuming that comes as well, a victory being left behind a, a little bit at the moment? I mean, they're the biggest club, not just in Victoria, but for me in the country. But at the moment, it, 
they're really in the doldrums, aren't they? Not just on the pitch. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we used to talk about Melbourne Victory being the, the benchmark and the biggest club. Um, but I've got to be brutally honest. Right now, they are a long way off being the biggest football club in the, in the country. Um, I think that they've definitely fallen asleep at the wheel, uh, Simon, you know, in terms of uh, the facilities, in terms of, um, you know, even the academy kind of thing. They, they, they seem to, to do things so much later when they were in a position where they were getting 50,000 to, 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 to the, you know, the big, the big matches. And they had unbelievable support. They probably didn't have the vision to have the club. Um, they stood still. In my opinion, they stood still. So, look, other clubs have stepped up and, and, and I'm sure Melbourne Victory, with the type of club that they are and that they want to be, um, they will be spurred into action. But at this moment in time, they're not the biggest club in Australia. Um, let's talk about VAR, if we absolutely must. Uh, Western United nil, Sydney FC won. Um, the contentious decision to award the penalty for Sydney. <laughs> Spider's holding his head in his hands. Spider, is, is that a penalty for you? The ball comes off the body of Ivan Vujic and onto his arm. I didn't think that was a penalty these days, but does anybody actually know? <laughs> mate, mate, I don't know the rules anymore. Mate, they've, they've killed me. I don't, I don't know the rules anymore. I, I watch a game of football and I go, yeah, play on. They go, they give a penalty. I go, clear penalty. They say, play on. Mate, I, I don't know the rules anymore. They, these guys have destroyed the love of watching a football match. Like, what could to do? Like, seriously, what could he do? The ball was belted at him. He put his leg up. It hits his knee and then hits his arm. Where do you want him to move his arm? Where? <laughs> It's a good question. Um, in terms of Western's form, though, uh, Maury, not helping Mark Rudin. They've lost four on the spin, but uh, the, in mitigation, you have to say, they have done an awful lot of travel, haven't they? Uh, I think they've played Oof. in five different cities, five games in 14 days. And next week, they've got to go to New Zealand to play Wellington. Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a, rough, a rough ride for them in terms of yeah, the, the, the travel, and, 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 you know, Western United, like all the, the clubs through this current uh, period, the last 15-odd days, you know, where you're playing a game virtually every, every three days. So squads are, are really being tested because they're not that deep uh, in the A-League. So, you know, squads really being tested. Um, yeah, now, tough time for, for Roods and Western United. Um, but in this game, I know, like I said, it wasn't a penalty for me, but I think uh, over the course of the, the 90 minutes and the opportunities that Sydney FC did have, uh, I don't think there can be too many complaints about Sydney FC taking all three points here. Uh, before steam comes out of Spider's ears, let, let's ask you about the F3 derby. Another contentious VAR oh. decision. Uh, is right. that a foul by Angus Thurgate or is that just a mere coming together of bodies with Daniel Bauman? Because again, for me, it, it's the latter, but clearly not in the eyes of the officials. Mate, that's not a penalty. Uh, that is not a... That is not a penalty. And this is what I'm saying here. I, I don't know the game anymore. I, I really don't understand. I've got to sometimes hold my breath to see what the referees are going to give. Like, Maury, yeah. you're a defender. Mate, that, yeah. how, how can that be a foul in, in football in our modern game? Well, see, with this one, I'm going to say slightly different. And, and I know you're going to be like, I can't believe... There was, a, I mean, there was the slightest bit of contact. And I know that it's one of those ones, it's a soft penalty. It is a 100% a soft penalty. Um, 
but I've seen fouls. You know, I think the thing with, with penalties, you say, okay, if that was a foul outside the penalty box, would they give it in the penalty box? Um, that foul, that type of foul, you would see given outside the penalty box. This time the referee gave it in the penalty box. So I don't have any real complaints, although I think it was a soft penalty. The only thing I will say about that is that he blew for a penalty straight away. He had no hesitation. So he obviously thought, mate, VAR, without VAR, he thought it was a pen, full stop. So even take take away VAR, the ref thought it was a pen. Everyone would have said, okay, it's a pen. He's given a pen, that's it. But because VAR was around, we've seen how soft it was. Yeah, I don't know, mate. I, I seriously, it's probably me saying this. <laughs> We'll, we'll leave you to calm down for a moment, Spider. Uh, the Mariners certainly needed that win after six without one. Uh, just five points separating second from seventh. Uh, one team is going to miss out. Could it be Maury the Wanderers? Um, th- this result, I have to say, baffled me. Um, Western Sydney Wanderers, they win the derby. They smash Western United 5-0 last week and then go and lose 5-1 the next um, and we should obviously give a lot of praise to Perth as well. And in particular, Andy Keogh scored uh, four goals, including one of the goals of the season. He's, he's, you know what I loved about the goal? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's an unbelievable finish. But Spider, you will love this one, mate. We like to count how many passes before we score a goal. Ready? Directly to Keogh. Lays it to Fornaroli. Fornaroli gives it back. Unbelievable finish. Uh, for me, it was, yeah, it was it's probably the goal of the season. Um Great way for him to celebrate his birthday. But Western Sydney Wanderers, just the the difference in performances, Simon, you know, from, you know, being very, very good to, 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 to this kind of performance is a real concern. I mean, Perth Glory have still got a game less than most of the teams, so they can actually put themselves back in a position where they're challenging for the top six. Western Sydney Wanderers can easily fall out. That was a question you asked me. Yes, they can. Yeah, and that would certainly set uh, the cat amongst the pigeons in Western Sydney because I think the finals is the minimum uh, achievement uh, set to Carl Robinson this season. Uh, Melbourne City uh, said in the opener they took a big step towards uh, the Premiership. They did during the week by defeating Adelaide quite comfortably and then they slipped up a bit against Wellington Phoenix. Uh, two all, they did make six changes because, of course, uh, the game's coming thick and fast. The big talking point out of this one, though, is Toma Hemet, who scored a couple of goals uh, to get a point for Wellington Phoenix uh, and then celebrated with the Israeli flag and put the kippah on the heads. This is a tough one, isn't it? Is he going to be in, in trouble f- for that, particularly with what's going on in the Middle East at the moment? And uh, should footballers just concentrate on football or are they perfectly within their rights to have their say and, and to honour their country and celebrate it? I don't even look into it. Like, as soon as I see him go, mate, he's Israeli. Okay, I know you're Israeli. Well done, mate. Happy days for him if that makes him happy. I don't think there's any tension. I don't think we're actually causing this day and age with what's happening over there. Yeah, I can understand what you're saying, Simon. But people do have a heritage. They do have a background. Mate, he's Israeli. Mm. He's happy to be Israeli. I guess Maury did, back in the day, of course, the, the FFA did away with all national flags uh, precisely because uh, of this type of situation. But now that we've uh, gone back to that and we've said, look, it's fine, you can celebrate your heritage, we've got to be mature enough as a sport to be able to deal with all this, haven't we? 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like I says, we, we we need to we need to embrace uh, you know the, the different nationalities. Australia is very multi multicultural. <clears throat> However, I will say that in terms of it's not a protest as such, but you know that that awareness and what have you. I don't think it should be happening on the on, on the football field. Um, so for me, probably probably slightly different. You know, there are a lot of things happening in, in the world, and a lot of people are getting behind these kind of things. Uh, I, yeah, I just don't feel as if it needs to be uh, highlighted on 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 the football field or, or during sport, if that makes sense. Okay, uh, last one for now. Uh, Adelaide's edging out Brisbane Raw by the only goal. Uh, Craig Goodwin, uh, yet again, who's had a terrific impact for the Reds. Uh, and a penalty save from James Delianov, um, keeping Joey Champness out and keeping Brisbane Raw scoreless. Uh, how impressed with you are you with uh, James Delianov, uh, Spidey? We've spoken before about some of the young goalkeepers in, in the A-League. What about Delianov? I worked with uh, James at uh, Melbourne City. So I know, him, I know him quite well. I had a year with him at Melbourne City. He was just coming through the ranks. He just he wasn't quite ready. And now he's getting that opportunity. He's 21 years old, so he's now getting an opportunity. And what people in Australia don't understand, which is driving me insane because everyone's a genius, but they need opportunities. And they are not ready at 17, 18, 19. They are ready at 21. Like we're seeing a den of 21. We're seeing a Magush playing his first year in the A-League. He's 23 years old. Mate, uh, Redmayne didn't start playing regularly till he was 25. So a lot of these guys need time to get there. But everyone wants a Buffon. Everyone wants a Neuer at 18, 19, 20. Let me give you the tip. The keepers mature later. They need time. And these boys are now showing that. And just to just to finish off on the, on the A-League uh, roundup, uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, guys, on this. We're going to go now into international. So you've got the Oli Roos that are going to be, uh, you know, players obviously at their clubs. So clubs are going to be impacted and also the, the soccer Roos. Um, even when you look at Melbourne City's lineup, now that there are a lot of games, but maybe also they're factoring in the players that they're going to be losing. My question is, if we knew when the starting date was next season, could have we actually not had a final series this season that actually still worked? I think, to be fair, mm. I think they've um, they've tweaked that a little bit. Um, so some of the Oliru players will be able to stay with their clubs um, for the final series. Melbourne City, of course, in particular, were going to be affected quite uh, significantly by a lot of international call-ups. So I think a compromise has been reached with that. But the general principle, Maury, you're absolutely correct. And this, again, comes down to the maturity of the game, doesn't it, overall? Uh, that we need to be in a position, and I think this will probably happen with the next TV deal, whereby the international windows are respected by the clubs. Um, I don't think, to be fair, it's the clubs putting the roadblocks in. I think it's the broadcaster. Uh, I think that's the issue. Um, because they want content, which they pay for, and I understand that. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, football, the integrity of the competition has to come first. And if you're having a final series without all your top players, then it's making a mockery of, uh, of the ALIC, isn't it? So I think that will be fixed in time for the next TV deal, which 
uh, obviously, we're, we're still waiting for what date is it today? 17th of May. We're still waiting, but uh, hopefully it's coming. It's coming. So is Christmas. Uh, thanks for the moment, boys. Let's uh, head overseas. London calling. London calling. Go further with the Australian College of Physical Education. With more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Their bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, applied fitness, education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Well, let's start with uh, the FA Cup final. Uh, Leicester City winning the cup for the first time in their history. A terrific story. Um, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, Maury, at the end of uh, the owner, Top. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his, his surname. Um, but clearly an owner who is very emotionally invested and connected with his players and his supporters. I just thought that was uh, absolutely brilliant after what we've all been through with this European Super League nonsense over the last few weeks. Well, the, the European Super League and, and also what what Leicester City have been through, you know, in terms of the, uh, the incident with the, with the father and, and, and the, the helicopter incident. Um, but look, Leicester City's um, first opportunity to, to win the Cup or the first time they've won the, the FFA Cup uh, the FA Cup, sorry. Brendan Rogers, also the first manager outside of Sir Alex Ferguson to win the Scottish and English Cup. Um, I mean, look, I think Rogers has done an, an amazing job. Um, you know, Chelsea, in terms of Tuchel, was also looking to win his, his first English trophy. Um, Leicester City, people don't talk about them being a big club, but I think what Brendan Rogers has done over the last uh, couple of seasons has been incredible. And in terms of seeing 21,000 people, how good was it to see fans? Mm. And when you touch on the, you know, the owner being out there celebrating uh, the emotion, that's what we love to see. And, and I'm sure we'll get to see a lot more of that. You know, it was really fantastic coverage. Spider, I don't know whether I dare ask you this after uh, the last segment, but uh, did, did VAR get it right or wrong near the end with the West Morgan goal? And was there a suspicion of handball against Iosu Perez in uh, the build-up to the goal? Mate, it's, it, it really is incredible. Um, mate, I was going for Leicester, obviously one of my ex-clubs. So I was going for Leicester and I was hoping they could break their hoodoo. They'd been to the final five times, lost four and finally got it right. And to, to watch them celebrate, I was really happy for them. But VAR got it right. They, they got it right, but geez, the uh, attacking player, they're getting no benefit at all, are they? It was millimetres, like mm. absolute millimetres. Uh, would have been heartbreak for Leicester, joy for Chelsea, but not to be. They got it right this time. 
Okay. Uh, Chelsea, of course, play Leicester again in the league in midweek, which is a vital game for both uh, for Champions League qualification, made even more so by the fact that Liverpool uh, came from behind to beat West Brom on Sunday with Alisson scoring a 95th minute winner. The first goal ever scored by a goalkeeper for Liverpool uh, in their history since their formation in 1892. It's a quite incredible story, Maury. And on this one, Simon, mate, you've got to see it if you haven't. Anybody, the listeners, get get on, have a, have a look at it. He's the sixth Premier Premier League goalkeeper to score, but he's the first to score with his head. Uh, and by the way, what a header it was. I remember uh, a few weeks ago, we were, uh, we were commenting on the, the St. Johnston goalkeeper that scored a free header against Rangers. Spider, they don't like picking up goalkeepers in the box. <laughs> because they think we can't head or kick. They say, get... mate, it's still our box. They don't realise it's still our box. We understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Spider, I've got to ask you, actually, given the size of you, you're six foot eight, were you never asked to go forward for set pieces? Surely you would have been a massive danger in those sort of situations. Mate, I hit the post when I played in Holland with a header. And mate, if I tell you, if I tell you they would have built a statue of me at Perugia, mate, I had a tap-in, basically a tap-in against Milan to send us to the final of the Coppa Italia. And one of our greedy players slid in in front of me and pushed the ball wide. Mate, <laughs> I ran to, I ran 110 metres back to the other end of the field with my hands on my head thinking I could have been a hero. <laughs> <laughs> so you, ne- you never actually scored a goal during your career? No, I scored a I scored a penalty. Yeah, I scored penalty, uh, but no, nothing that that nice like a, a header or from open play. No, but I come close. You did indeed. Uh, since we last met, of course, Manchester City have become Premier League champions for the third time yeah. uh, in four years, and they um, put the icing on the cake with a with a crazy win against Newcastle on Friday, four goals to three, a Ferran Torres uh, hat trick, including a quite extraordinary goal. I'd, I don't know whether you'd sort of call it a mini scorpion. He, he sort of went in the air and flicked it with the back of his heel into the into the top corner. It's an incredible goal. Remind me a little bit of um, Riley McGree, kind of the scorpion kick did mm. come into my head, Simon, if I'm being honest. Look, he's come into an area and he's he's, he's tried to help it on and it was very creative and and obviously the, the end result was was unbelievable. Um, you know, but I think the, the the point that we talk about Man City, I mean, again, an incredible season. Um, and all without uh, an out-and-out centre-forward. Will they look to to add uh, that for next season, Simon? I think and uh, yeah, I think they will. I'm not sure how you feel as a fan, whether you feel as if they need to, but I think they will. Mm. Yeah, I think they will as well. And I do think they need one. Uh, they've done very well playing without a centre-forward, really, this year, and they've rotated a lot of players in that position, deep-lying, centre-forward, uh, false nine, whatever you want to call it. Kevin De Bruyne has played there. Ferran Torres has played there. Raheem Sterling has played there. they played Jesus out wide. Aguero has on occasion played uh, as a proper nine, but I think they will go after either Erling Haaland or Harry Kane, uh, and they'll get one of them. Uh, not both, but they'll get one of them, I would imagine. They've certainly got the money to be able to do that. Um, in the second tier in England, championship playoffs on Monday. We record on Monday morning, so we don't know the results. Uh, Bournemouth against Brentford and Barnsley against Swansea. What a story Brentford would be, hey? Not been in the top flight since 1947. 
uh, but they've got this brand new stadium that replaced the old uh, Griffin Park. They used to have a pub on every single corner. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I don't know whether the new one does. <laughs> I've drunk in a few of them, by the way. Um, are they the favourites to go up, guys, do you think? They've got, a, they've got a great chance, Simon. I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed watching Brentford this season. I think they got knocked out last season by Fulham mm. in the playoffs. Um, they've lost Ollie Watkins, who went to Aston Villa. They lost Ben Rama, who went to uh, West Ham. And Ivan Tony scores 31 goals for you this yeah. season, uh, which, is, which has been incredible. They're a really good team to watch. Thomas Frank's done a wonderful job with them. They even like to be a little bit creative from the kickoff. I don't know if any of the listeners have seen some of their their kickoffs, uh, which have been a little bit different. But yeah, it's, it's it's difficult, you know. Final scenario, anything can happen. Um, but I think Brentford uh, have got a wonderful opportunity, um, and wouldn't it be a great story as you touched on? Sure would, uh, Spider. We're going to finish off this segment with you. Um, away from England and into Italy. Uh, Juventus got a late win over Inter, which is really vital for their Champions League hopes. And then 24 hours later, Napoli went to Fiorentina and won by two goals to nil. Uh, But a draw for AC Milan, your former club, Mm. leaves it all up in the air. Who's going to make it? Who's going to miss out? Could it be Andrea Pirlo's team? Mate, I tell you, Milan's got Atalanta as well the last game. What a disaster of a match to be playing. Um, Yeah, look, I, I don't know. Far out. I, I don't know. Like a lot of the seasons, uh, a lot of the leagues, like, I, I really don't know. Spain's the same. Spain's the same, Simon. Like, Atletico Madrid come from a goal down to score two goals in the last five minutes to win 2-1. So, that's still alive with Real Madrid. Barcelona were beat What's that, today? Barcelona yeah, were they were dead. Yeah, they yeah. were dead. They, they, they were dead. It was uh, Atletico and... And Real, Italy's the same, mate. Dog fight at the top, dog fight down the bottom. Uh, Spain's the same. It's it's carnage all over Europe, but it's brilliant to watch. If Juve don't make it, is that the end for Pirlo? Is it the end I anyway? And I mean, you've said that you think Cristiano Ronaldo will move on, but uh, will, will Pirlo go? I, I think Andrea will go if they don't make the Champions League. Uh, mate, Juve is just too big of a club and it's too important. Money-wise, we know money-wise, it's too important that they're in the Champions League. Mm. You played with uh, Pirlo. Did you always think he was cut out to be a coach? No, I didn't. I actually didn't. Mate, he used to remind me of Droopy the dog. I swear to God, he was so <laughs> laid He was so laid back that it's incredible. It's like he didn't have a heartbeat. Mate, that's, that's why he was probably such a gun player because nothing actually fazed him. Uh, I didn't see him as a manager, no. No, definitely not. Maybe that's a good attribute to have, um, being very laid back as a manager or as a coach because you don't have to get a lot of stick, don't you? All right, guys, uh, thanks for the time being. On to our final segment we go, and another big guest awaits us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Sydney in 1995, starting his football life with Manly United. As a junior, he moved to England, aged 16, to join Leicester City. And while he didn't make a senior appearance for the Foxes, he spent time on loan to Mansfield, to Peterborough, Brentford, Barnsley, Wigan and Ipswich. 
He joined Hull City in 2019 and has just been named in the League One team of the season as the Tigers clinch to return to the championship by winning the title. It's a big podcast. Welcome to Callum Elder. Thanks for your time today, Callum. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Um, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, let's start right at the beginning, which is as good a place as any. Um, you come from uh, British stock, Irish stock, an Irish mum, a Scottish dad. Uh, and your grandfather was Paddy Turner, who played in the League of Ireland. So I guess football was always in your blood, even as a kid. Yeah, for sure. Um, even from a young age, um, mum's side of the family, um, her dad was a was played for Celtic um, era just oh, before the Lisbon Lions. <laughs> Sorry about that, Craig. <laughs> you can jump off now if you want. <laughs> um, yeah, so football's obviously been rich in my family, you know, um, big sport in history, um, big football fans, Irish, Scottish, um, parents moved out to Australia um, and I was born in a, Sydney um so you know it's always been been rich in my blood um from a young age so you know to to do what I'm doing now seems like uh almost like it was a bit destined but you know it's it's taken a long sort of long slog to get where I am now but it's it's uh it's been a pleasure at the same time we'll come on to that but I want to know who your team was growing up and who your football idol was you know what actually Craig will be absolutely delighted with this now. You can come back on now. As very randomly, growing up, my favourite team, I'll never forget, was Newcastle United. Um, I used, from the age of six, I remember, never forget, I would always train in a Shearer nine top. Um, yeah, so it's, honestly, I'll, it, that might... Honestly, my earliest memory of football as a kid would be me and my dad, uh, nine o'clock, would never miss a Monday night, the world game, Les, and we'd sit there and watch it for an hour. Um, so from a young age, it was always Newcastle and Shearer. Um, you know, you'll know yourself sort of growing out of that sort of youth and then growing up, you know, especially now that I'm playing in England and I was never grew up in England, you can see that sort of the rich and sort of the aggression in, in the football fan base. And if you're not there, it doesn't really sort of, it's not historically in you, you know, you weren't born in an English town, whatever. So um, that will always stick with me. But then obviously moving over, it was always like, you know, who I played for was who I was a supporter of at the same time. And then in sort of parallel with that being an Aussie boy I would always look back and, and see how Australian football was developing at the same time because you know it's 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 a big part of your upbringing Australian football and whilst you move across the ocean to to Europe you still have a keen eye on on what's going back home so what's going on back home so um so yeah I noticed you had Shearer nine and not more three or more four on your back, which is good. Which is good. <laughs> I can understand that completely. <laughs> um, so let's 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 move on to how it started for you, football wise. Uh, Nick Ogle yeah. on Facebook uh, asked sort of the question. I, I guess I was going to ask: Was it easier for you to get a visa to go to the UK because your parents are uh, from Scotland and Ireland? And how did that move to Leicester first of all come about? Yeah, so um, 
that's always a question. And weirdly, it's one that sticks out, you know, growing up. And it was always like, in my youth, it was always like, who could get over to Europe? And I remember playing for Manly United and, and sitting in the dressing room as a 12-year-old, as a 13-year-old, and we'd always sit down and the coaches would always say, you know, there's 20 of you here, one of you might get get there, make their way over to Europe and, and break through in Europe. And you're thinking, nah, like, their mods aren't very great. Like, could I be that one? Could I be that one? And, you know, it's sort of five years later, it's coming about and you're thinking, like, almost... It, it's your whole sort of vision flashed in front of you. What you thought five years ago could never happen and it's right in front of you. So I think um, I became eligible for a UK or a British passport due to my parents' nationalities. Um, so coupled with sort of growing up, it was always a thing, well, can he got over? He's not got a British passport, you know, with, with different kids. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, do you know what? I'm not too sure whether it was. I, I imagine it was in my favour, but I imagine if someone, at the same time, there was lots of boys when I was in the youth team at Leicester who had didn't have UK passports, but the club worked its way to to find a way to get them over through working visas and and things like that. So um, the move to Leicester came about. Uh, I was representing New South Wales um, at the national championships in Coffs Harbour. Um, I think it was under 15s, maybe maybe 16s. Uh, and um, I had quite a successful tournament. Um, Oscar Gonzalez goes a long back, a long way back. Um, yeah. I'll give yeah. him a big big shout big shout out to Oscar because. My whole life in football, I, I grew up and I was a centre midfielder. All my youth team age groups at Manly, I was a I was a centre midfielder. I joined the uh, the state team of New South Wales and Oscar pulled me one day and he said, how would you feel about playing left back? And I thought to myself, deep down, I thought, nah, that's really not for me. That like, I've, all I thought was centre mid, centre mid, centre mid. But then he actually broke it down to me. You know, you're left-footed, you're good in the air, you can get up and down the pitch. Um, I really think you could flourish for me in that position. The way I want to play, we play expansive. I want you to affect the play higher up in the pitch. So you're not going to lose that impetus in the team moving, moving forward throughout the thirds. So I said, you know what? I said, you're the gaffer, I'll do it for you. So it, honestly, 15 years old, 16 years old, that was the first time I ever put a number three shirt on. So I went up to Coffs Harbour, really enjoyed playing there, the way we played. Um, and I was named sort of in the whatever the team of the tournament or something like that. Really enjoyed my time up at Coffs Harbour. A couple of weeks later, um, I don't know how it came about, but my dad got a phone call to say, I don't know if it was a direct Leicester scout, but it might have been a generic uh, English scout at youth level, was actually there in Coffs Harbour. And he said, We've watched his son at the tournament. We'd like to invite him over for a trial at Leicester. So that was when I thought to myself, like, you know, I need to get on a plane here. Like, and I've got three terms left at school, year 12, about to finish my, my education. And this comes about. Now, you never think it's going to come. And then all of a sudden, just like that, it flashes in front of your eyes and you've got a big decision to make. Life-changing, potentially. So me and dad got on a plane. I went on and went and did my two-week trial at Leicester. Um, went really great. By the end of it, sat down with the academy director. He wanted to offer me full-time terms. So he said, give yourself time to think. 
um, so I went back. I, um, you know, I take great sort of thanks in uh, an appreciation that my parents, they worked ever so hard to send me to a really good school in St. Ignatius College at Riverview. Um, and I had three terms left. So I got back and I thought, well, I need to make a decision here. I also thought to myself, you know, maybe if I sort of speak to them, I might be able to finish my school and then get myself over there and everything would be great. Within maybe 10 days of being back, I was getting emails off the football club, uh, being Leicester, what's he doing? What's his decision? When's he coming back? We want him now. We want to integrate him into the youth team, the scholarship system. We want him immersed in the football club. So I knew then it was like, right, it's yes or no right now. And mm -hmm. I think what helped was the fact that I had a great support network around me from my school, my friends, my family. And I had a deep sort of urge to get over there and it was everything I dreamed about. And, you know, I thought, yeah, I'm going to give it a crack. So the harsh reality is it could have easily not worked out. You know, you see so many times lads, they, they get over and then it doesn't work out and they don't know whether they're coming or going. And one thing I realized quickly at that age, and I'm so glad I got over is just how mentally strong you need to be because it is ruthless. Even at that age, you know, if you're not cutting it, you will often find yourself without a club the following season. So, um, I mean, it's, it's cliche to say the rest is history, but I mean, um, deep down, I've, I've never really looked back and, and, you know, it's been great so far. I know there's so much work still to be done to get where I want to be, but, you know, it, it's all about taking taking the stride in your journey. And, uh, you know, um, I'm looking forward to, to what's to follow uh, so far in my career. Callum, talk, talk us through, and, and again, it's, it's a little bit new in, in, in Australian terms, in terms of, you know, you, you went out on loan to quite, quite a number of clubs and, and how important that is in a, in a pyramid, in a system for young players like yourself to get that development, development that you don't necessarily get at that first club you signed for. Yeah. Um, it's, I would say to this day, the use of the loan system is single-handedly the most important um, factor that would uh, shape my career and my development for a few reasons. Um, so especially at Premier League clubs, you see it more and more often now, um, Leicester was a championship club was I signed, later became a Premier League club. So I was on loan uh, during both stages of uh, where Leicester was sitting in the English pyramid. So the first reason I would say is when you're at a Premier League club, the facilities, you know, the opportunities, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying you're spoon-fed, but it's very, very... Um, easy. You've got a lot of people uh, staff-wise employed to help you with whatever you need. And what you, you find is lads get very comfortable at that level. You know, they might have a game on a Friday night. They've got the weekend off. They can do whatever they want. They train for a few more days. They might have a game on a Monday. It's uh, now called what's called the development league. So, you know, you look at the word development and you think, well, hang on. No, as you get older, it's all about the result, you know. So, what then happens is lads go through that stage of being in youth teams and then all of a sudden the club don't want to keep them on and they, and they get released out of these Premier League clubs. They then look to try and find a club where they're going to play and clubs that look to sign them will go, well, how many senior appearances has he made? Oh, zero. But we could sign a 25-year-old or a 22-year-old that may not have been at a Premier League club, 
But at the age of 22, he's got between 50 and 100 senior appearances. Oh, he's got more experience. He'll be able to integrate into our club quicker. We'll go for him instead. Yep. So that's what you find if you get too comfortable and you're not playing for your, your parents' first team. You often can get flushed out and be left on the side because you've not experienced and you've not gained, gained senior football on your CV. The second reason I would say why it was so important is because I quickly realised at, you know, as early as I think when I was at Mansfield, I was 19, turned 20. You quickly realise what's required to cope at that level. Now, even at the age of 19, I think I signed for Mansfield in January, so halfway through. I think I played majority of the games, 22 appearances in maybe four months. Not only did I realise what it took to play at League Two at that level at 19, it was. It also made me realise that in terms of my own personal drive and where I want to be in my career, I now knew what I needed to do and how, what, how much more I needed to get better so I didn't play at that level again. The following season, I played at Peterborough in League One and the exact same reason. I had a great spell at Peterborough, unfortunately... Um, stopped through injury, um, innocuous, needed an operation, returned to Leicester. But I also realised what was required to play at League One. So the second reason would be you, you, you out yourself into that environment that you wouldn't receive playing in the under-23s or the under-21s or whatever it is, or even just, even I would go as far as saying training with the first team, because whilst it is great, you're not putting yourself in that environment when you're on a Saturday and there's tables and there's fans and there's promotion and relegation and so much riding on these games. So for me, I quickly knew what it took to become a professional footballer at senior level. And as much as I love Leicester as a football club, I've not got a bad word to say about the football club from all my time there, even though I didn't break through there was it shaped who I was because I had the drive to get out and be like, well, if I'm not going to have a long-term career at Leicester, I need to make sure that I'm putting myself out there where I can have a long-term career elsewhere. So that was would be why I would say is the main reason how it's so important in shaping young players today if you're not going to play at your parent club. It's a, it's a great answer, Callum. Just with that in mind, when the time came for you to leave Leicester, and I think you probably uh, have outlined this in previous interviews, you knew it was time that you had to move on and play uh, regular first-team football for another club. You chose Hull City, um, which was a little bit down the league and, and in danger of, of relegation um, to go down to League One, which is not where you particularly wanted to be long-term. So I guess in some ways it, it was a little bit of a gamble to, to sign full-time with Hull City. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, so I think what happened was um, I got to the point where I was at an age where I thought, if, like I said just previously, if I wasn't going to have a long-term future at Leicester, you often see now it, it's so crazy, especially in England. Like five years ago, 22, 23, you were the youngest in the team. We're now seeing people like, for example, Jude Bellingham playing for Borussia Dortmund at 17 years old. The, the starting age is, I'm telling you, it's getting lower and lower. So I got to an age where I was like, Do you know what? I've, I've got close to 100 senior appearances, but I'm still at Leicester. And I needed to try and find a new home where I could reestablish myself and sort of find that sort of base uh, as a football club because I knew once I found that I would be able to become more settled in knowing where I was 
I wasn't back and forth. I didn't go to a new place to play football on loan, but I also knew I was coming back to Leicester in six months. So actually, I signed for Leicester at the start of last summer. However, the season... Oh, sorry. I signed for Hull at the start of last summer. However, the season before, Hull had actually shown an interest in signing me on loan. Now, unfortunately, through a lot of issues and paperwork, it broke down with minutes to spare on deadline day. So I never got myself out. So I knew that there was an original interest from Hull. And I think there's a lot of factors that you have to consider is, you know, obviously one, the stature of the club. Hull is an unbelievable club. It dropped down to the championship. But four years ago, Hull was playing in the Premier League with some some huge players that have gone on to have unbelievable careers. Maguire, Robertson, for example. So I knew I, I knew I was going to a massive club, albeit in the championship. The second reason, the manager, Grant McCann, I had worked with Grant at previous loan at Peterborough. He, uh, he was first team coach and uh, interim manager. So I, I knew I could quickly strike a relationship with him. And then second, uh, lastly, I, after speaking with the manager, I knew it was a place where I could really go and reestablish, not even reestablish myself, establish myself as a first team player in, in English football. So from that respect, I'm so glad that I, I made the move because, you know, albeit it became a difficult end to last season, you know, if you, you can only look forward and then move in sort of 12 months, uh, eight months forward from the end of last season. You know, we've gone on to have an unbelievable this uh, season, this season. So, you know, I'm looking forward to what's to come at that football club. Uh, you're right. Uh, first title this year in 55 years for Hull City, which is incredible. And of course, your own form has been terrific as well. You're, you're in the League One team of the season. Why, why has it gone so well uh, for the team and, and for you personally this season? Yeah, um, it's a good question, really. Um, a lot of people ask because of sort of how negatively last season finished. You know, I remember when we, we uh, just before we started this season, you know, the the club showed to us where even our own media in Hull and around the area predicted us to finish. And some of our own uh, reporters predicted us to finish as low as 16th this season. So I think it was more the fact that people were so shocked about how we could turn the negative spiral of last season into such a successful season this season. So I think for me, why it went so well um, for the team was we recruited well in the summer. Um, weirdly, whilst COVID has been a terrible, terrible time that has affected so many lives and, and fingers crossed, we can really see the back of it over the next six to 12 months. With the whole COVID pandemic, there was such a short break in the summer um, where I think it must have been, it must have been, five weeks tops between the end of last season and start of next season. So, whereas usually it's, it's eight to nine to 10 weeks. So it was almost like we didn't really have time to sort of get in a, such a negative state where we didn't know where we were really going to stand the following season. We knew Hull was way too big a club to be in league one. And, you know, when you talk about that bounce back, there was so many things that went right um, this season but for me, the biggest thing that went right this season in terms that really propelled us was 
we won the first five games in a row. So we were sitting top of the league with 15 points from five games. I don't know if we even conceded a goal. Might have been a couple of goals. And for me, that was the most important thing. But because for a club and a squad that was so damaged off the back of last season, mm. we finally showed to ourselves and we proved to the club and the fans and you know the city as a whole, no, this club can win games successfully on the bounce. And I really think that carried us through all season because I don't think we dropped out of the top six all season. So we almost from a psychological point of view, we always knew we were fighting for, for the title and we set them standards. So winning five games in a row, if you have a sticky patch, you know that you're not at the standards that you need to be hitting. So for us, it, for me, that was it. And then other factors, you know, we at the most crucial time of the season, we went 15 games unbeaten whilst other teams were dropping points around us. We were able to solidify our position at the top of the league. Um, and we responded well to, to adversity and setbacks really well this season. You know, we might have lost a game and we'd win the next two. We... We didn't win a get. We won one game in six. Everyone said they'll be lucky to make the playoffs. Fifteen games on, we did not lose a game. Twelve wins, three draws. So, you know, the character that was shown from the lads really sort of shone through in the end for us. And, you know, for me personally, I think why the season went so well, for me, it definitely, I played with a lot of anger this season. Um, anger and frustration, you know, if you think sort of three years ago, three, four years ago, I went on loan from Leicester to Wigan and I won League One with Wigan. So mm -hmm. for me personally, I remember in the two-week period that we had uh, off before the new season started, it, I was struggling to process the fact that I was back in League One three years later. And it's obviously not where I wanted to be. So for me, I, saw, I feel like I played with that drive, played with that anger, that frustration all season. And then because we were so success successful this season, sort of my attributes were able to flourish and I was able to get up and down the pitch. I think it was 21 clean sheets we managed to keep in, in, in the season. Um, and then from a personal level, I was really able to affect the play higher up in the pitch. I think it was nine assists and a goal from was definitely my, my biggest return from an attacking output. So I was really pleased, you know, I, I, I coupled with the pandemic, I kept my head down, you know, I knew the hard work. And then in terms of an international stage, I knew that the manager would be watching. He's made it very clear that they have a really sort of deep analysis of our games each week. They're always watching the, watching our clips, our stats, our form, our performances, injuries, fitness, all that. So they do keep a real close eye on how we're doing. Mm. And I knew if I was to break through this season, in League One, I knew I would have to have a really good season. So I was just so committed to making sure I did that. And, you know, I'm, I'm really delighted that, that the way it turned out. Um, and it, whilst uh, receiving the accolade of getting in the team of the season was amazing, and, I'm, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't delighted to be in that because, you know, it's a, it's a show of, I'd say, consistency and, you know, the way, the way you perform this all season, not just, not just for a, a small spells. Yeah, yeah. But the, the main good. thing for me was, was winning the title with, with Hull. You know, to do that as a club, the club's not, to bring that to the club, a, an achievement that they've not done for 55 years, to be part of a squad that's done that is truly rewarding. So, you know, myself and the squad were, were, were delighted with how it's ended. 
There's something about 55 guys there. You, 50, <laughs> 55 Rangers have won 55 titles. 55 years since Hull have won a, a, a league title. But, Calm, you touch on that, that kind of like um, the start of this season as if everyone is against you in, in, in a way. So you become stronger. You become stronger as a group and you really have to uh, learn to, to trust one another. And then you say you, you have the start of the season. 100 have the five victories. Yeah, and then people want to get on board, but they can't get inside because that trust is already built between the group then. No, I, I honestly, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, when someone would, would be to ask you, you know, what's, what's the, the, the biggest sort of, um, what's the word? The, the, the most important feeling of getting promoted or winning a title is because it takes such a communal effort you know, the feeling of getting promoted is when you lift that trophy and you look each other in the eye and, you know, the champagne's being sprayed or whatever, you look at everyone around you and you think, I really relied on you this season to perform and you relied on me and collectively we produce for, for each other to achieve the success that we've now set out to achieve. So just like you said, that feeling was we were at a club that four years ago were in the Premier League. We're now sitting in League One. We, as a group of players, are the only people that can really affect... Us and the staff are the only people that can really affect this club moving forward. You know, obviously, deeply disappointing. The fans weren't able to, to help us along the way. But whilst the fans were sitting at home, we knew it was our duty and responsibility as footballers of a small number of clubs that need to be higher than League One. And Hull sat in that category of one of them clubs. And, you know, you've seen, you'll see it yourself. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult league to get out of. It's a lot of Saturday, Tuesdays. There's no international breaks. You're in an extra cup competition. So you're, you're reaching 55, 60 games each season. So the level of consistency to win enough games to get yourself promoted needs to be right at it. So... That's what I would say is we came together early on. We knew it was down to us to get the club promoted and the ability and the character of the lads really shone through. So, you know, it's, it was, it's been a wonderful feeling the last few weeks and we've been delighted that we've been able to achieve it. Callum, um, I want to ask you about uh, the Socceroos before we finish off with a Twitter question or two from our listeners. Um, sure. I know that you've got uh, ambitions to be a part of those World Cup qualifiers in June, July. Um, although you may have picked up uh, a bit of an injury, as I understand it. You've you got tough competition in the, in the left-back role, of course. You've got Aziz Bayic, Alex Gersbach, Jason Davidson, Brad Smith. Um, but it, it seems as though your time is now, really, your, your body notwithstanding, obviously. Yeah, I, I thought I actually might get asked this question, which is completely fair enough. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a really difficult one to answer. Um, like you just said, you name the competition, not just in my position in the squad, you know, there's an abundance of players that around the world, Europe, Asia, the Middle East, Australia itself, that are all truly driven to represent our country and take this wonderful country to the next stage in, in, in footballing success. Um, 
the last generation have done it, you know, to be in the last, is it three World Cups, is, is been truly incredible. And that needs to be the precedent set now. Australia needs to be a World Cup competing country every four years. So I knew, coupled with not just the my position itself, the, the squad, it was off the back of relegation, I knew I had to have a really good season because I knew that the stiff competition I was facing. So um, I have was definitely looking forward to it. I had spoken to the national team manager. Um, it was something where I was in his plans. Um, you know, I was genuinely looking ahead to these qualifiers with a realistic uh, outlook of being a part of them and, and helping a, a wonderful group of lads, you know, perform for their country. Um and the difficulty that I face is uh, after playing nearly every minute this season, 48 appearances, um, I received an awful tackle about half hour in last Sunday. Um, totally innocuous. Um, and I felt my knee fold in. Uh, and I have actually done this injury uh, earlier on in my career when I was a young lad. So I knew straight away what it was. So I came off, um, I've had scans and much to my devastation, I've got an MCL injury, which is your medial collateral ligament on the inside of your knee. Now, the good news for me is there's no surgery needed um, in terms of domestic football. It's the off-season now, so I'm not going to miss any football. Um, I'll spend this off-season recovering, just making sure the ligament heals strong, really, and I can get uh, build that robustness up and, and become functional again, and, I'll, and I will rejoin the lads in pre-season, so there'll be no catch-up from that point of view. Um, however, like you said, where I felt like my time was now, what is the devastation that I won't be part of the upcoming qualifiers um, with this injury? So, you know, it a lot has gone through my head the last two weeks. Still is, you know, there's there is. I imagine and and I hope to this day, and I'll work until I retire that I will receive that uh, that national team call up, and I'll receive that feeling of standing with ten other players out on that pitch, singing that anthem, singing and uh, representing such a wonderful country with a terrific fan base that has got a deep passion for seeing Australia succeed in football. Um, but for now, disappointingly, it's not going to be this time. So um, whilst it is disappointing, I'll, uh, I'll be following all the lads and I'll be watching on as a fan because, you know, if you, whether you're playing or not, we're all football fans of, of Australian football. So um, yeah, it is, it is a tough one. Well, Callum, uh, I'm very sorry to hear that, but um, I'm sure it's only a temporary delay before you get uh, that, that first uh, international cap, and we wish you all the best with your recovery. Uh, we're going to finish off with uh, two questions, one from our listeners, and then Spider is going to ask you his weekly question that he asks every single guest, so be ready. Yeah. Uh, but before that, uh, this is from Ben Archer. It is our question of the week. Uh, congratulations to Ben. $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher is coming your way, Ben. And it's a two-parter, really. Uh, and Ben asks, League One is known for being pretty brutal. What's the best one-liner or sledge you've heard from either a player or the crowd? And who is the player you hated playing against? It's a good question. <laughs> oh, no, oh, this is brilliant. But I'm going to have to adjust this question only because <laughs> you say crowd. There's been no crowd this season. Yes, that's true. Right. So I will adjust the crowd. I will adjust the, uh, the question is, so what's the best sledge that I've heard on the pitch this season? Mm. 
So I can't name his name because I can't out him like that, but it is a it is a player that I've played with before. And I've never ever burst into laughter on a football pitch, but this is <laughs> head and shoulders the closest I've come to erupting on a pitch. This season we played and the referee did not possess a follicle of hair on his head, right? <laughs> so we were getting the rub of the green. I think we were 2-1 up um, or maybe 2-1 down. We were right on top. We were getting everything off the ref. And I'll never forget one of their players, the play stopped. And one of their players turned around and said, ref, you look like your own kneecap. <laughs> and he's looked at this player and I was gone I think the whole pitch was gone and I thought is he going to send him off here for that he's heard it he's heard it and we thought he's getting sent off here and to be fair to the ref he chuckled and ran off fair play so so but, that would be uh, that would be the best ledge I've heard. It, it went down a storm with the rest of the lads. Um, and what? Sorry, Simon. What who was did, the second part? Who did you hate time? playing against? Who did you hate oh, playing who, against? Who did I hate playing against this season? Um, who gave you the hardest time? Yeah, who gave me the hardest time? Do you know what? Who I would say actually, um, the hardest time because obviously you play everyone twice a season. The hardest time I would say was. Um, we played Fleetwood Town um, and we we were flying and then we came up against them and they actually on Sky Sports on a Friday night, they beat us 4-1. Much deserved winners. It was a real eye-opener for us that, you know, this, this league isn't as easy as what we thought winning five games in a row. There was a winger that night and then there was a winger who played both dimes against me and it was just... The fact why I would say it was the most difficult opponent, his name's Wes Burns. Um, and just through raw pace, you know, obviously, I'm not saying there's no ability, he's got great ability, but what it is, is first and foremost, is raw pace. He was the fastest player I played against this season. So, what was difficult was, um, you the three of you will know this more than anyone yourselves in terms of tactics. So, we always played with a four at the back. Now, Fleetwood, they played with wing-backs. So what you'll know is, what, well, me for, for certain is, as a full-back, if you've got a winger that is nice and tight to you, you're delighted because he's in your space, you can get tight, you don't have to shift very far to engage them. Now, this fella played right wing-back, and we went man for man, so it was full-back against wing-back when the ball came on our side. But what would happen was, the ball would come out to him. And instead of a normal winger, for example, in a 4-3-3, he was playing wing-back. So he was 25 yards away. So I had to get close, but I knew he was running at me full pelt. So it was a bit of cat and mouse. But because he was so fast, you showed him too much of the line and he was gone. So I would say he was the di most difficult op opponent that I've come up against. Just because the way, the way Fleetwood played, I had to run further to get out to him. He was the fastest player. I would say he probably in the league, real raw pace. I would say so. I, re I reckon uh, that's. So yeah. I reckon that's the most <laughs> thorough answer we have we have had to that question. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the reason, no, that's like, great. The only reason is just because say, I'm not sure many kicking? fans in Australia would know. So I thought I need to give some insight. That's, They'd be like, "Who's that?" Do you know, that's what I mean? terrific. Okay, Spider, go on. Your moments, mate. Callum, 
tell us tell us the best stadium you've ever played at and the biggest dungeon you've ever played at. Okay. Well, I definitely know the dungeon. Uh, <laughs> the best stadium. Ooh. It's been so difficult, you know, Spider, because last season, uh, oh, I'll, I'll tell you what, in terms of atmosphere, Ellen Road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ellen Road, yeah. I would say. We played Leeds on a Tuesday night. We were well in the game. It was the it was the year they got promoted. Actually, um, we were well in the game. Um, we conceded uh, a real hard goal. A keeper, um, you know, he came out. I think Patrick Bamford kneed him in the face, so he was out of his goal. He was out of action, and they managed to tap it in. And in terms of, you know, being really amongst a cop and, a, and as an away team, we were complaining to the ref. There was coins getting thrown at us on the pitch. It was, it was old school and ruthless. But, you know, you love it. That's what you, you live for as a footballer. <laughs> you know? um, and what, what about so the dungeon? Say, what about the dungeon, Callum? Yeah, the dungeon. Accrington Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honestly. You swing too far, you... Hey, you swing too far, you're giving a mate on the in the next squad number a black eye next to you. That's how tight it is. Um, and then coupled with COVID, um, you know, with the uh, the makeshift changing rooms, just, you couldn't swing a cat in there, honestly. <laughs> so Brilliant. I would say it's, it's something about Accrington. It is never, ever dry when you play there. It is always bucketing it down. So I'll say Dungeon Accrington Stanley. No Superb. one wants, that's a communal answer. No one would want to go there for sure. Superb. Hey, Callum, we're going to leave it there because we probably kept you long enough. Um, absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you for being so honest with your uh, opinions. And again, we're sorry that you, we won't see you playing in the green and gold in June, July, but uh, I'm sure it won't be too long before you make your Socceroos debut. So all the best with, with your rehab and all the best in the championship next year with, uh, with the Tigers. Yes, Simon, uh, Craig, Zelko, thanks so much for having me on. I uh, I appreciate your time. Absolutely Not brilliant. Right, Callum. Good luck, mate. That is, Cheers, Cheers, that is Callum Elder, and that is us for another week. Join us again next week for another Shim Spider and so much more. Until then, bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.